On today's episode of the Rami Lavi podcast, episode 83, we continue to talk about the historic season that Aaron Judge is having, 42 home runs through the month of July. We also have trade deadline updates from across Major League Baseball. In football, we have NFL games coming up this week and an update on the Deshaun Watson situation as we may expect to hear something today. And also Donovan Mitchell and the Knicks, a story came out from over this weekend. What do I think of that? All that and more coming up next. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experience experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R help h-e-l-p dot com slash rami for 10% off your first month do it today episode 83 of the rami la vie podcast live from michigan again it is monday and it's august 1st and i'm not one of those people who at the beginning of every month and at the change of every season it's like oh my god can you believe it's this season can you believe it's this month but it does feel like they go by pretty quickly. So August 1st is a little bit shocking that it's already here. So we're two thirds of the way through the baseball season. And that's the biggest story. We are also less than a week away now from NFL football. And yeah, maybe it's not the best competition. Maybe we might not even see a single starter in this game. But the Hall of Fame game is Thursday. And that means real NFL competition on Thursday night. You could sit back on your couch and watch NFL teams play against each other, and I don't care who you are. That's exciting. That's got to get you riled up. But like I mentioned, we're two-thirds of the way into the Major League Baseball season, and for my New York Yankees, July was a wild month. So there's the All-Star game, of course. They send a bunch of guys. They have the series against the Mets, and overall, just not a great dominant month like the first three months of the season were for the Yankees the first half of the season. In July, it, they came back down to earth a little bit. One guy who did not come back to, down to earth was Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge, what he's doing right now is, um, there's no other words. I've said amazing. I've said remarkable. I've said incredible. There's no other words to describe what Aaron Judge is doing right now. What I heard on the Yankee broadcast today was they used the term stupefying. That's the new term that we're using to describe what Aaron Judge is doing. And quite honestly, there's nothing else to say about him. This is a guy who's having a better season and on pace for a better season than any Yankee in Yankees history. He has more home runs, 42 through the month of July, than Ruth or Maris or Mantle or anyone has ever had. He leads the MLB in hits. He leads the major leagues in home runs. He's also had a ton of RBIs. He leads the league in run scores. The run scores is kind of my favorite one because I think he's at like 90 and the next best is at like 72 or something like that. Like he was literally like 18 more than the next best guy in runs scored. It's just stupid what he's doing right now. He's running away with the MVP. What I talked about on last episode on Friday morning is it seems like he's in the middle of everything. Something 
I kind of had with a gripe that I kind of had, if you could even have one with Aaron Judge to this point or to the before prior to this season as a Yankee was that, yes, he was getting all the hits. He was getting tons of home runs, but he wasn't in the middle of the biggest moments in the game. We talked about the walk-offs, but it's been more than that. The two-run home run he hit on Friday night for his 40th home run, the walk-off home run, obviously, the home run in the comeback on Friday night as well as they take the two-run lead and then he caps off the inning, blowing that game open. And that's important because of how the Yankee bullpen has been. So the Yankees win the first three games of the series in dramatic fashion and Aaron Judge has his fingerprints all over it in the first three games of the series against Kansas City. And then in the final game, the Yankees should have won the game still. And that's uh, earlier today. I'm recording Sunday night. Obviously, it's going to be out Monday morning. But earlier today or yesterday, as you're listening to this, Aaron Judge did not have his fingerprints all over the game. He took up a couple of walks. He had an opportunity. He had a couple of pitches in the bottom of the ninth inning to maybe hit one out. That was uh, He missed his pitches there a couple of times. And still, the Yankees had every opportunity to win that game. But like I said, it seems like when Aaron Judge doesn't come through for this team, this team doesn't win. And when he's in the middle of things, they do win. And that's kind of been really important for this team because you need to get other guys around him to step up. And I know Anthony Rizzo had a huge home run in this game. And I know other guys have been really good. DJ LeMahieu, the numbers he's put up over the last six weeks have also been beyond remarkable and have kind of flown under the radar uh, because of what Aaron Judge is doing. But the first thing you have to do before we get to the Yankees as a team and what this means for the final third of the season, what this means for the next two months as they steamroll ahead towards the playoffs as they're definitely not missing the playoffs. That's one thing that's for sure. They're making the playoffs, but the question is, are they going to limp to the finish line or are they going to steamroll and run through the end of the season the way they did the beginning of the season, the way they ran through the first two months of the season? So we'll have to see on that. But whatever happens with the Yankees, whatever happens with the trade deadline, which is coming up on Tuesday, and we'll get to that a little bit later in the episode. You have to appreciate what Aaron Judge is doing. Take a minute to stop and think when you're watching him play baseball and appreciate that you're watching one of the greatest to ever do it and you're watching one of the greatest seasons in baseball history. Will he fizzle out after this year? Is this by far the best season he's ever going to have in his career? Does he get a huge contract from either the Yankees or someone else beyond the season? All that stuff has to just rid your mind of that because there's no point thinking about, well, what happens after this year? Does he stay with the Yankees? Does he leave? There's no point in thinking about, is he going to deteriorate at the end of his career? Is this the last great season we see next year? He turns 31. There's no point to think about any of that because right now you're watching a guy who has 42 home runs through the end of July and is on pace for, I think, 67 home runs on the season, a season like we've never seen before. We're not talking about just catching Roger Maris and Babe Ruth anymore. We're talking about the possibility of catching Sosa, McGuire, and maybe even Barry Bonds for the most home runs in a season. And we know those guys were all using a little extra help with the steroids that they were using. And Aaron Judge, to the best of our knowledge, is not on any of that stuff. So what he's been doing and the season he's put together this season is likely once in a generation, something you may never see again or at least for another 15, 20 years. So appreciate what you're watching here. That's the number one thing. Sometimes we look back and we're like, wow, those seasons were amazing. And the only thing I can compare it to really was what, a-Rod did in 2007, but he's on a better pace than that. He's going to be better than that. If the season ended today, he could be MVP with 90-something RBIs, 90-something runs scored, an average close to 300. It was 300 going into the game today. Obviously, he didn't get a hit, but what the guy has been able to do, like I said, his numbers are MVP numbers if the season ended today, and there's still two full months. Unless he completely falls off a cliff, he's going to win the American League MVP. And what he's done so far for the New York Yankees 
is insane. He's the number one reason why they've been able to do anything this season. And that is something that you cannot take for granted if you are the New York Yankees. And if you are a Yankee fan or just a baseball fan or a sports fan in general, you want to watch history happening in the happening in the making. You want to watch it while it's happening. You want to appreciate the moment and not look back in a few years and say, wow, that was really unbelievable. That was incredible. You want to live for the now and say, wow, I'm actually appreciating this as it's happening. Go watch a Yankee game. Go watch Aaron Judge. And everyone who talks about it, the chase for 61, the chase for the history has not distracted him. It hasn't gotten to him, at least as of yet. The coverage is going to be every night now. Every time he comes to the plate, they're going to be spotting in from ESPN, from MLB Network. I hope that's how they cover it. That's how they should cover it for the next two months. All of a sudden, every at-bat is going to be must-watch TV for Aaron Judge. And I don't think the pressure is going to be too much for him. There's nothing that's indicated that it will be. And it's actually a great test for him going into the free agency. Will he live up to a big contract? Should he get a huge contract from the Yankees? Well, we'll see over the next two months how he handles the pressure as the Yankees are trying to push for a playoff run. He's all so far said all the right things. He's not exactly been like Chris Kreider-like, which I talked about in the past where they asked Chris Kreider about scoring 50 goals. He's like, well, if I'm scoring, it means I'm helping the team win. If the team's winning, that's great. Like, He hasn't exactly answered like that. He's enjoying the personal accomplishment a little bit more. Maybe it's because he's playing for a contract that he's answered that way, but he still puts the team first. It's not by no means is he putting himself first. So he still is all about the team. He's all about the Yankees and he's all about winning, but he's definitely soaking it in and enjoying the ride that he's been on. And I hope all the fans enjoy it as well. As I mentioned, the first three games of the series against the Royals was pretty good. Aaron Judge was amazing in those games. Garrett Cole had a weird game in the middle there. um, And I'll just get to that for a minute because Garrett Cole, what happened was that was an inning that should have been over. There were two errors made, one by Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, one by Anthony Rizzo, and Kiner-Falefa had two errors in the game. Neither of them were called errors, so all those earned runs end up on Cole's ledger. Cole and Higashioka seem to not be on the same page, which is something I'll get to a little bit later, the entire ball game, and especially in that inning. And so Cole still finds a way to work through that inning, but he gives up five runs in that one inning. Finally, the Yankees just come back <laughs> right after that, and of course, they take the lead and everything that happened with that. That was just a classic 2022 Yankees win. And then they just totally hammer the Royals on Saturday. Obviously, after coming off such big wins in both the first and second game on Thursday night and Friday night of the series, Saturday, they hammer the Royals. And then Sunday happens. And Sunday was just weird. So again, Montgomery is actually really good for the first four innings. This is a second straight clunker um, of a start if you look at it from the statistics standpoint at the end of the start. But the first four innings, he was dominant. The only issue was he seemed to not be on the same page with Higashioka also. And that's something that we've seen a couple of times where even when starters are pitching well, they're just not on the same page with Higashioka. And they kept pointing it out on the broadcast. I think it was John Flaherty talking about how Montgomery was working really slow because they just didn't seem to get on the same page repeatedly. That might be an issue. I mean, we know that Trevino has taken over as basically the full-time starting catcher. He's starting about 65% of the games, being an all-star and everything he's been able to do on both sides of the ball for this pitching staff. But if Higashioka is becoming unplayable, that's a big problem for the Yankees. This is a guy who was the personal catcher for Garrett Cole, and they seem totally out of sync. And maybe it's the pitch com or something that's changed for Higashioka this season, but it's not been the same guy he was last year. Last year, he was the reliable one with Gary Sanchez being the guy that people struggled with. And yet this year, it seems to be the total opposite. And he's been lost at the plate too. So I'm not sure what happens going forward with Higashioka. I don't even know if we see him start a playoff game if the playoffs start today. But this is a guy who is literally Cole's personal catcher. And then he's all of a sudden, he's not the personal catcher. He can't even start pitch uh, well enough to pitch to Higashioka. And back to Kiner Falefa. Again, you're going to go into a playoff series with this guy as your starting shortstop. This is a guy who made two plays or didn't make two plays in that game against 
the Royals on Friday night that both of those plays could have easily been called errors. They end up calling them hits, but the broadcast the whole time, like, I mean, those are just errors. And something the Yankees were so good at early in the season was playing clean baseball. They didn't give away outs. They didn't make the mental mistakes. They were on the same page. Everything was so perfect. Everything was so methodical. And if you're starting to give away outs because of errors and because the catcher and pitcher aren't necessarily on the same page, that could be a real issue for this team going forward over the next two months and especially going into the playoffs. And that's something they have to work out. But back to Sunday's game. Montgomery, with all that, he has a bunch of strikeouts. He looks good. The curveball looks sharp. The one thing that he wasn't able to do, and Flaherty again pointed this out from the get-go, was he wasn't able to locate that inside sinker on the right-handed batters. He's trying to get it in on their fists, and it kept either leaking out over the plate or he's overthrowing it high or throwing it in the dirt. He was not able to locate that pitch, which was the problem he had against the Mets as well. So he's not able to locate that pitch early in the game, but still makes it through four shutout innings. Looks really good for the Yankees early on there. And then in the fifth inning, it all comes apart. He walks the two guys, gives up a couple of weak hits, and then Boone's had enough. And we've seen this two games in a row where Boone has just had enough early of Montgomery. And Montgomery, who had a really good first half of the season, maybe in those games, Boone would have let him work through. But for some reason lately, Boone has not been letting Montgomery just work through it. If he's struggling, he's going to pull him. He's shown that a couple times in a row now. And maybe it's because Montgomery struggled so much in the later half of last season. I don't know what it is, but Abreu keeps it right there. And by the way, this just tells you that the Yankees are managing these games different than they managed them last year. I said that all year about Aaron Boone, that he's managing with more desperation. If this was last season, they win the first three games of the series. They're going for a four-game sweep on a Sunday. It's what we called the punk games last year. They had a thousand punk games last year. But no, this year they're treating it differently. And I love the way they're treating it. Boone comes right in, gets a Abreu. He's like, you're out, Montgomery. That's it. And he, we know they had the stare down on the mound the other night in uh, City Field against the Mets. I don't know if there was much of a stare down when he took him out this time. But Montgomery just struggled. And Boone was like, I've seen enough. I'm not letting you get out of this inning. Brings in the bullpen. And the Yankees do what they do. It starts with DJ LeMayu. Like I said, he's been he's been so hot. He hits the two-run homer to get them back in the game. They're down a run against Zach Greinke. And one thing the Yankees always do, Zach Greinke was kind of carving them up, really was in their head. He was playing mental games with them for the first five innings of that game, but he had 86 pitches. And that was it. After five innings, he was out of the game. 86 pitches, three runs, and five innings. And you get to the six, you get to the bullpen. That's all you need to do if you're the Yankees. Eventually, you're going to score, and eventually they did. Anthony Rizzo with the pitch that's so far inside with... How much he leans over the plate, it's amazing that he could get to that pitch, get the barrel of the bat to that pitch and turn on it and yet still keep it fair for a three-run home run down the left field line or down the right field line, I should say. And at that point, it feels like the Yankees are winning the game. They're up a couple runs going into the bottom of the eighth inning. And then Ron Marinaccio, who's been perfect, and I just couldn't handle this. Michael Kay just talking about how perfect Marinaccio has been as he gives up the first home run. And then he's getting himself into more trouble. And it's like, God damn it. Like this kid was out there, has been awesome lately. Yeah, we get it. But the the broadcaster jinx, whether it exists or not, we've heard enough. At this point, this kid is struggling and you're still talking about how good his numbers have been lately. Um, but we know he's been good lately. The problem is he can't be your eighth inning guy. Right now, the Yankees don't have a reliable guy who's your eighth inning guy in the bullpen. Michael King would have been that guy. He's out. I guess Clay Holmes would have been that guy, but now he's become the closer because he can't rely on Chapman anymore. And we'll get to all that soon. But Marnaccio gives up the first run. Gets out of that inning with a key double play. But then in the top of the ninth inning, the Yankees, you think they're going to close it down. They get the first out pretty easily with Clay Holmes, and then he totally implodes. 
gives up the three-run homer. Still, it didn't feel like the Yankees were out of it. They get a base runner on, right? DJ LeMayu with one out gets a single. You think that Aaron Judge is going to come up and tie the game. He just missed a couple times. Anthony Rizzo got under a pitch also, and that was the ball game. It's over. Or Anthony Rizzo, I think, walked, and then it was maybe Glaber who got under a pitch. Yes, who hit it to center field to end the ball game. One thing I'll say about that game, though, that's a very 2021 Yankees loss, and that's not a good thing. This team was this year known as the comeback and everything that they've been able to do this season, keeping themselves late in games, always coming back late in games. But that type of game where it's the game where you're going for the sweep, where it feels like it's over already, you could just wrap it up against a team like the Kansas City Royals, not a great team, just end the series, send it to the next series on a high note, and you just implode at the end of that game. Those are losses this team wasn't having this season. Those are losses that were constantly happening to this team last season. And this team just can't revert back to how they were last season. And so the next two months, the biggest thing they need to focus on is, yeah, Aaron Judge is going to be setting his records. Aaron Judge, that's going to be one focus is going to be him chasing history and him helping this team. But when he's not carrying this team, other guys on the team have to step up. The bullpen has to figure it out. The bullpen is in big trouble now. Like Chapman and Loizaga need to become at least trustworthy. Like they weren't even an option in those spots in the seventh and eighth inning and ninth inning because it was like, well, who are we going to bring up? Like, we're going to bring in Chapman. We're going to bring in Loisica. We don't trust either of them. Obviously, Green is out. He's not coming back. Michael King is out. He's not coming back. We're talking about Zach Britton coming back. We haven't seen him in a couple of years. Who knows what he's going to be like? We need the next two months to figure out, is Clay Holmes our closer? Yeah, he had a really good run, but he's had a nice run here for the last two weeks where he's been actually consistently pretty bad. So is he really going to be the guy that you're relying on in the ninth inning of a playoff game? He's never done that before. Is it going to go back to Chapman? We know he's his history. It's not been better. He actually has done it before. But how many games has he blown in the playoffs and in the World Series and in big spots? Is it Loizaga? Is Loizaga your closer now? The guy who, if he's the guy he was last year, then I'd make him the closer. But we haven't seen that guy this year. Maybe he could somewhat start getting back to who he was last year as the season progresses. But the next two months, we need to figure out who of those two guys are trustworthy. Who of those three guys, if you include Clay Holmes, and by the way, when we talk about trades, they are going to have to seriously look in to bringing in more bullpen help. Uh, something that was considered a strength of this team, a spot that was definitely not something we were going to worry about as recently as three weeks ago, we would have thought, yeah, the bullpen set. Like Chapman coming back, Loisaga coming back, Britain coming back. Those are just bonuses. We had such a good bullpen. We were locked down for the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. And now they're a huge question mark. So Cashman's got to be on the phones looking for relievers. And I don't want to hear, well, you know, Severino's coming back. Britain's coming back. Stanton's coming back. That's the best deadline we could possibly have. We don't need to go get the big names. We don't need to trade for relievers. We don't need to trade for this or that. The Yankees can't do that. The Yankees can't have that mentality. The mentality this year has to be, we are going for the big names. We need to get someone to shore up this bullpen. We need to make this a priority because right now, the way the Yankees team is currently constructed, there's nobody you trust coming out of that bullpen late in that game. And that's a big problem. This team could end up being exposed very early in the playoffs if this is the t- roster they have going into the postseason. Now, in the past, when the Yankees have had deadline acquisitions, they've always kind of gone for, I don't know, maybe the lower level pitchers when it comes to making trades. They're always very much into reserving who they have for you know their future down the road, reserving the prospects that they have in the system. So... We saw already the Yankees lost out on Luis Castillo, who was definitely the number one pitcher on the market. 
He goes to the Mariners. The Yankees had a package in play, but it was not going to match what the Mariners were willing to offer. And so the number one pitcher, the guy who I really wanted, and really the only guy who I wanted, because right now the pitching, I don't trust anyone. Even Garrett Cole, who, yeah, I said it wasn't necessarily his fault. Those two plays needed to be made in that inning that he ultimately gave up all the runs. But at the same time, make a pitch. Get out of that inning. Like, you're the ace. You're supposed to pick up your teammates, recover from them, and make a pitch to get out of that inning. He still didn't do that. So do you trust anyone on the Yankees right now? Who do you trust? Do you trust Luis Severino coming back from his entry? Do you trust Nestor Cortez, who's been a very crafty pitcher? Who knows what he's going to be able to do in a playoff series, though? We've never seen that before. Do you trust a guy like Jamison Tyone, who's struggled of late? Do you trust Jordan Montgomery? These are huge question marks for the Yankees right now. I think another starter is a huge deal. And we, you look back to 2017 over the last five years or so of the current Yankee run, it's never been going for the top flight guy. It's been Sonny Gray, just a little bit of help from Sonny Gray. Yeah, Sonny Gray can get us over the top when the Astros ultimately got Justin Verlander. Now, a guy like Justin Verlander doesn't come along every day who totally just revives his career and becomes a Cy Young candidate after he's traded. But still, you went for Sonny Gray. Last year, you saw the Yankees went for Andrew Heaney. Like everyone was talking about, no, the Yankees, this team is really going to make a move in the starting rotation. And they went for Andrew Heaney, a guy who has like a career ERA of six. That, that was never going to work. No one ever thought that was going to work. He had that one start against the Red Sox at Yankee Stadium that I was at last year where he was unbelievable. Otherwise, he was throwing batting practice like 97% of the time with the Yankees. The J.A. Happ move, another guy who was in the midst of like a decent season with the Blue Jays and was like, well, we're going to get Jay Happ because he's pitching in the division and he could pitch it against the Red Sox and he's really good. Well, he pitched against the Red Sox. How'd that go for you? Not great, right? Another guy, Lance Lynn, and this was before he was good. That was the same season. They go get Lance Lynn as a back-end guy. At some point, he came in, I think, for Luis Severino in that game. I talked about it on last episode where he went straight to the long guy, and he came in for Luis Severino and imploded out of the bullpen. They never went for the top-flight guy. So you look at those guys, Gray, Heaney, Hap, Lance Lynn, all those guys. Like That's the type of people we're looking at now with Frankie Montas and just these different like sub-mid-level pitchers. I'm looking for a 1A. I'm looking for a guy who we know Cole is starting game one way, one way or another. I'm looking for a guy who can come in and start game two, and if we're down one nothing in a series, and especially if we're up one nothing in a series, he could put a chokehold on the series. But if we're down one nothing, he's a guy who could come in and revive us so that we don't go down 2 nothing in a series. I'm looking for a Carlos Rodon who had an incredible start again for the Giants today. And when you look around the league and you look at different teams like the San Francisco Giants, all of a sudden you're looking at these fringe teams that are they making the playoffs? Are they not making the playoffs? And with the extended playoffs, it's going to be crazy. So I'm looking at Carlos Rodon or a surprise. Maybe you go and get Juan Soto with all the rumors swirling. Maybe the Yankees swoop in and finally make that huge move. It's like, no, we really are going for it this year. We're going to get Juan Soto. And by the way, we'll get Patrick Corbin with him. That will, if you eat up that contract, that'll actually help the Nationals. It'll help you get the deal done without having to give up more prospects. You could eat up the Patrick Corbin salary. And by the way, Patrick Corbin has experience pitching in the playoffs and pitching in the World Series. Even though he's not the same guy as he was a couple years ago, that might still be worth it for the Yankees to get a, a veteran guy. Plus, it means you're getting Juan Soto. Or look at a guy like Shohei Otani. Honestly, like at this point, anyone is available. And if you got Shohei Otani in your lineup and in your starting rotation, I mean, can you imagine how crazy that would be? How that changes everything for the Yankees as a team? So, I don't think those are realistic options. I think we're going to be looking at the road of Sonny Gray and Andrew Heaney and Jay Happ and Lance Lynn. Like We're going to be looking at those teams and those types of players. And that's upsetting for me as a Yankee fan, but I think that's what we're looking at. And I think it's going to be one of those other teams who ends up getting these big names and we're going to be looking like, that could have been us. 
speaking of those other teams, the way this season and the playoffs are currently constituted, it's crazy what's happening right now. There's three wild cards in each league, and there's three division winners. So six playoff teams in each league, 12 playoff teams overall, and it's totally changed the landscape. When you look at who's buyers, who's sellers, there are these teams now like the Orioles. They're three games out of a wild card spot. They're fringe. We know they're going to sell some, but they could be buyers also. Boston has not said that they're going to be full-out buyers. They expect to try and keep Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts. But at the same time, they're willing to listen on guys like J.D. Martinez and others. It sounds like, obviously, the Yankees, Houston, Minnesota, Toronto, Seattle, Tampa, they're definitely going to be buyers, those teams. Maybe the White Sox also are going to be buyers to try and push themselves into a playoff spot, even though they're only one game over 500. In the National League, obviously, the Dodgers, the Mets... Atlanta's said to be buyers. San Diego obviously looks like they're definitely buying, and so are the St. Louis Cardinals. But then you look at teams like San Francisco, which are only four games out of a playoff spot. They're 500, and yet they seem to be sellers or they're fringe. Philadelphia, the same thing. They're currently in a playoff spot, but they might be looking to move some pieces. And so these teams who are kind of fringe on the edge, like even Milwaukee, we heard they might be moving, looking to move some pieces. They're 12 games over 500. And they're pretty secure in a playoff spot as it stands today. So there's no real surefire sellers other than Washington, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, the Cubs, Oakland and Kansas City and Detroit, I guess. Like maybe the Angels, maybe Texas. But it's so interesting how this has totally changed everything. And maybe the trade deadline needs to be moved back to later in the season because it's unclear what where everyone stands right now because of the added playoff spots there are so many teams that are on the fringe that could convince themselves yeah we can still compete and maybe that's why the market's been so slow because we don't know what's going on so i'm going to do another episode the deadline is tuesday night at 6 p.m i'll have another episode tuesday night after everything happens after everything goes down but when you look around the league right now and you look at the possibilities of what will happen what won't happen it's hard to know it's hard to tell because everything is all over the place like i mentioned The only sure buyers, the Dodgers, the Cardinals, the Padres, the Yankees, the Astros, the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Mets, the Mariners, right? Those are nine teams that are probably buying right now. And how many teams are selling? Are they all buying the same pieces? They're all looking at the same guys that could drive up the prices of some of these guys. When you talk about a Juan Soto or a Shohei Otani even being traded, a Carlos Rodon, or do the Giants say, hey, we're one run away from being a playoff team ourselves. Why should we trade? Like I said, right now you're looking at the Cubs, the A's, the Nationals, and the Marlins. Only four teams for maybe nine teams that are trying to buy. Maybe the Red Sox will kind of quasi-sell. Maybe Baltimore selling a little bit. Texas and the Angels also. It's weird, the whole Milwaukee-Philly thing. Two teams that are currently in a playoff spot. If the season ended today, they'd be in the playoffs. Milwaukee has a division winner. And yet still, they may be sellers. San Francisco only four games out, a 500 team. Only four games out. So what goes down over the next two days on Monday and Tuesday till Tuesday at 6 p.m. is going to be fascinating in Major League Baseball. So keep an eye out for that. And I will definitely try and keep an eye on everything and have a recap for you when we get there on Tuesday night. Like I mentioned at the top of the episode, we have football this week. Real live football, real NFL competition on Thursday night. The Las Vegas Raiders are going to be playing the Jacksonville Jaguars in the Hall of Fame game. I doubt we'll see anyone, definitely not a guy like Derek Carr or probably not Trevor Lawrence either, but I don't care. I'm going to be seeing teams in NFL uniforms playing NFL football with real rules and everything. And it's going to be some guys who are trying their butts off because it's going to be guys working not to get cut 
and trying to make teams, I'm going to watch it like it's the Super Bowl. That's what's fun about the Hall of Fame game because, yeah, it's kind of a nothing game. It kind of means nothing for anybody. But at the same time, we're so starving for football at that point after months of not having it that people are watching it. People are going to be locked in. I'll probably be gambling, losing money on it. That's how much fun it's going to be. You don't know anything. That's If you're gambling on the Hall of Fame game, you're definitely a degenerate. So uh, look out for me if I'm ever tweeting on Thursday about my bets for the Hall of Fame game. Definitely call someone. Definitely uh, send me to uh, some sort of help. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. We're six weeks away from week one. I think it's September 11th, 9-11th is 9-11 is actually the first game or the first week of games of the NFL season. Um, I think Thursday night is that Thursday night prior to 9-11 is the opening game. But 9-11 is week one. I think that's when it is of the NFL season. I keep saying that like I know, but it's six weeks away one way or another of having a full slate of football games. And I can't wait to just sit down on my couch for seven hours on a Sunday to watch football. I'm totally ready for that. Like I said, I don't want summer to be over. I'm not one of those people who's pushing into the next season. But at the same time, I'm ready for football. And Thursday night, you bet I'm going to be locked in. One situation that's going to be happening today on Monday and going to be resolved, and we've already seen some stuff come out about this, is the situation with Deshaun Watson. And I think the NFL is in a no-win situation with Deshaun Watson. It's expected that there will be a agreement that has come to you on his suspension um, a little recap as to what's going on the sides recently had settlement talks and this is according to ESPN Watson's camp offered a six to eight game suspension the NFL was looking at a 12 game suspension with a significant fine another thing that came out was a letter from the NFL Players Association which is obviously on the side of Deshaun Watson And here's what they said. So the way it works is there's a judge, and this is not what they said yet, but the way it works is there's a judge who is an independent judge, not someone who works for the league or someone who works for the NFLPA, not someone who works for the police department or anything like that, who is going to determine what happens with Deshaun Watson. And she's going to make a decision, and that's what they're going to go by. Now, the thing is they're looking at what is going to potentially be a criminal charge against Deshaun Watson. The league then makes a decision as to how they go forward with Deshaun Watson's suspension based on her ruling. So it says in advance of Judge Robinson's decision, we wanted to reiterate that the facts of the proceeding. First, we have fully cooperated with the NFL inquiry and provided the NFL with the most comprehensive set of information for any personal conduct policy investigation. A former federal judge appointed jointly by the NFL Players Association and the NFL had a full and fair hearing, has read thousands of pages of investigative documents, and reviewed arguments from both sides impartially. Every player, owner, business partner, and stakeholder deserves to know that our process is legitimate and will not be tarnished based on the whims of the league office. This is why, regardless of her decision, Deshaun and the NFL Players Association will stand by her ruling, and we call on the NFL to do the same. Now, here's what I understand from what that says. And what that says basically is we gave all the information. We did everything we could as far as Deshaun and everything from the Players Association. We did everything we could uh, to cooperate. We presented our case to the judge. And we want you guys, basically being the NFL, to respect her ruling. 
that kind of tells me that the NFL Players Association is expecting a very pro Deshaun Watson ruling and something to come down that says that while what he did was disgusting, while what he did was awful and not great, obviously, but what he did was within the legal terms. There's nothing illegal or nothing really that illegal that he did. And because he wasn't convicted felon as a felon, he should not be convicted by the NFL. And essentially, this puts the NFL in an impossible situation. So there's a couple reasons. One, obviously, we talked about with the Trevor Bauer stuff where the NFL has set a precedent. And if the NFL is already looking at a 12-game suspension and Watson's asking for eight, and this ends up somewhere in the 12 to 9 ballpark for a case that's perceived as domestic violence and domestic abuse and something that is a disgusting, terrible act and something that has been prevalent in all of sports as we're trying to get rid of this and especially all of sports and definitely in society. The NFL can't just look at this and say, yeah, nine games, sure, even if it's a huge fine. And then you're going to have the people coming out of the woodwork saying nine games for Deshaun Watson when Calvin Ridley got an entire season for gambling on a game that he wasn't even playing in. And I talked about this when the Ridley stuff happened and why it's different. And it sucks that this is the case because what Watson did, yes, in society, in humanity, it's a thousand times worse. And should he be suspended for a million games for an entire season for two seasons? Yeah, he should be. Should the NFL come down regardless of whatever this judge rules tomorrow? Should the NFL come down with a suspension that is a full season and then some? Should the NFL stand by what they decide and not let Watson sway them and not let the Players Association sway them any way? Yeah, 100%. But when you look at what happened with Ridley, he was gambling on games. The integrity of the game is based on players not gambling the games on the legitimacy of the scores and the outcomes that the game has. And once you put those scores and outcomes in question, the league loses everything, no matter what sport you are. People watching the games are watching the games because we think it's real. Because we're sitting there, it's not staged. This is something real that we're watching. It's live and developing in real time. And if the NFL loses that, they lose everything. And as much as it sucks to see a guy who did some terrible, awful things like Deshaun Watson, maybe quote unquote, get away with it and only get 12 games or nine games or whatever he may get tomorrow. Whereas a guy like Calvin Ridley is going to serve an entire season. The NFL has no choice but to give Calvin Ridley an entire season. So do I think the NFL can be pressured into giving Deshaun Watson a longer suspension based on what the MLB just did with a guy like Trevor Bauer, that there was no case, there was no civil case, there was no crimes brought against Trevor Bauer, and yet the league said, no, you're still suspended for a full season and a half. Can the NFL do that with Deshaun Watson? Sure they can, but it doesn't sound like they're going to do that. And if they do do that, then all of a sudden the NFL Players Association is going to come out and say, are you insane? Are you kidding me? This is terrible. And they're going to make the argument that I just made, that Deshaun Watson did nothing to hurt the game of football. And while what he did was terrible, it was not illegal, and it doesn't hurt the league. What Calvin Ridley did hurts the league directly, and we can't argue that. But Deshaun Watson does not deserve to be in the same boat as Calvin Ridley. The league's in a tough tough spot either way. It's a no-win situation for the NFL right now. And it's going to be really intriguing to see what happens tomorrow with the ruling against Deshaun Watson and with what ultimately the NFL decides is going to be his punishment. Lastly, I wanted to talk about the NBA, and then we'll... Wrap it up for tonight or tomorrow, (laughs) Monday, like I said. I always do that where I'm kind of like talking about, hey, it's Monday, but I'm recording the night before. I'm not recording as late, so it's a little different because when I'm in the studio, I record in the middle of the night, so it already is technically the next day, but 
I'm not recording as late anymore because uh, I'm not in the studio. I'm technically on vacation. But a report did come out on Friday and it wasn't the news drop story like I thought it would be. Um, I talked about on Friday morning how I thought it was the perfect Friday news dump day. And it was just Shams Charnia from the NBA. And I respect his work and I respect what he does. I actually saw a documentary about him, how he moved up and how he got to the position that he is and using the relationship that he has and all that stuff. What he said essentially on Friday was that the Knicks have not talked and not had conversations with the Jazz regarding Donovan Mitchell in over two weeks and that other teams have started to come back in the picture. There was obviously an uproar and a reaction to that, like you'd expect from Knicks fans who seem to be passionate about all of these things. And they were like, what? We're not going to get Donovan Mitchell. How can you not trade for him? And I told you this a couple of weeks ago is going to be a no-win situation for the Knicks where if they got Donovan Mitchell, it's going to be you pay too much for him. If you didn't get Donovan Mitchell, all of a sudden we're going to be saying, well, how'd you let another team undercut you? When the Knicks can still offer the best package, the Knicks want Donovan Mitchell. That's 100% for sure. And I do think the Knicks will ultimately get the deal done. But what you have to look at with a guy like Shams, and this is his job, I'm not blaming him for doing this, this is what he has to do, is what's his agenda here? What is he trying to do? And I think what Shams is trying to do is he's given information by one of the sides, either one of the other teams, by Donovan Mitchell's party, by the Jazz, by someone, to report it and to say and to try and pressure the Knicks into making a deal. The Knicks have stood strong. That's one of the things we talked about was if the Knicks didn't get a deal done, if no deal has happened yet, it's actually a good sign for you as a Knicks fan because it means the Knicks aren't folding just because everyone knows they want Donovan Mitchell. Now, the Knicks still want Donovan Mitchell and everyone knows that. So somebody went to Shams, whether it was one of the other teams or whether it was Donovan Mitchell's party or whether it was the Utah Jazz and said, put pressure on them. Say that there hasn't been conversations in two weeks. Say that I don't know, whatever it is. So he goes on some no-name show that nobody's ever heard of, and this clip ends up going around on Instagram, on Twitter, and everywhere else saying that, yeah, the Knicks haven't talked to him, and other teams are starting to talk, and talks have totally stalled out, and who knows what's going to happen with Donovan Mitchell. He's anyone's game. Well, first of all, there's a couple things. Number one, the Knicks can still offer the best package, and clearly the Jazz want the Knicks to offer the best package, and they want that deal to happen. But not only that, and not only do the other teams uh, not have as much to offer, there's something significant here and it's because of guys like Kevin Durant because of guys like James Harden and what we've seen in the NBA over the last few years Donovan Mitchell wants to go to the Knicks and yes he doesn't have a contract expiring coming up he doesn't have a full no trade clause he can't determine where he goes but it doesn't matter anymore the NBA players go where they want to play so if you're the Miami Heat and you give up a ton to trade for a guy like Donovan Mitchell and then he says actually I still want to play for the Knicks I still want to be in New York like he clearly seems to want to, then he could just leave a year later or even a few months later. He could be like, sorry, I'm sitting out till you trade me. So not only is there pressure on a team to try and not trade for him because he wants the Knicks, but they have to make sure he's going to be happy if you trade for him. So you're going to give up a ton for a guy that seems to be wanting to go somewhere else. So the Knicks, I do think, have more leverage than you think they have. And that's why if you're the New York Knicks, don't be pressured by what Shams is doing. This is what he does. This is what he's supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be changing the agenda. He's supposed to be creating a stir so that he could eventually change something. But if you're the Knicks, don't get pressured by that. You're playing the game the right way. Obviously, the Jazz are the ones who are flinching now because they're the ones who are putting these reports out there. That's what I think in my opinion. So do I want Donovan Mitchell? Am I nervous that maybe they won't get him? I don't know. I'm not that nervous. I just think this is a really good thing on the Knicks front. And maybe they won't end up getting him. Maybe he'll end up going somewhere else. But if he really wants to be a Nick and it seems like he does, ultimately he will end up there one way or another. All right, that's all I got from 
that I will come back on Tuesday, like I mentioned, and do a podcast after the MLB trade deadline, and we will be closer to football at that point. So we'll do a little more football talk with my NFL quarterbacks game. You have the top 32 list. You can go back to previous episodes to listen to that. I do the full thing on the last episode, and then we'll do the game where we pit them against each other and say, who would you rather have? All that and more on following episodes. Until then, I'll see you. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and road graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Sidewalks burning, we pray for rain in July. I want the Yankees 99, yeah. and the Knicks on a sold out night. When the curtains close and the Broadway streets are alive, hey. I need your heartbeat close, don't you ever leave me. And I breathe your air when I land in another city. And I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones. I'm still here.